I want to look today at just three verses in Exodus. It's a book called Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. And just so you know, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, the Bible is not a book. It is a collection of books. And, and the second book that is found in the Bible is a book called Exodus. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. You can get out your phone. You can... Uh, pull out your paper Bibles. By the way, I still read my Bible on a paper Bible many, many times, and uh, just shout out for the paper people, and, uh, and, uh, or you, it's on the screen for you right there. Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5 says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. I want to talk this morning about how to get everything you need in your relationships. How to get everything you need in your relationships. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning as we dive into your word. Lord, as we move forward as a church, thank you for your wonderful presence that is here Lord, just stay here with us. Teach us. Teach us from your word. Lord, let my words, Lord, be overrided by the words of the Holy Spirit that wants to speak to each person, Lord, in this place. I thank you that you are going to help us, Lord, not only hear your word, but be doers of your word as we leave. In Jesus' name, everybody said, well, I share this story with permission this morning, and as I tell it, you'll understand why. A couple of you have maybe heard me tell this story. I haven't told it in a little while, but I want to take you all the way back to my college years. And uh, as I go back into my college years, there was a uh, incredible late young lady that I had met uh, there. She was smarter than me. She was uh, prettier than me. She was just better than me, more talented than me in every way. And and I was falling for her. We actually had been friends for quite a while. We had developed a close friendship, and uh, we had one of those relationships where I would date other people, but they never compared to her. How many of you ever had that happen, where you would date other people, but they would never compare to somebody that you only thought of as a, a friend? Okay, maybe it's just me, but, um, and, and so she, uh, through a, a series of conversations, we uh, we had kind of started to move towards a dating relationship. I was pretty excited about that. and I wanted to be honorable and, and you know, really do this right, do it the way that handled this relationship, the way that God wanted me to handle the relationship. And, and uh, so one night we were going out on a date. It was, uh, it was actually our, our first or second date. She would know better than I would, but uh, we were going out on a date and I had, I had planned the night really well. I had taken this uh, taking her to this beautiful restaurant, flowers, and you know the whole deal, the violin guy playing the whole thing, and and way more than I could afford, uh, you know, and and so and and what I did is I I had planned out this really long speech to ask her after our date kind of was coming to an end as we were walking out of the restaurant. And when I say I had planned out this speech, I actually wrote it out word for word and, and uh, memorized it and just wanted to be honorable. And the whole speech was geared towards, I want to ask you for permission to be able to just hold your hand tonight. 
And I was so excited. I had worked up the nerve to give the speech. And, you know, and I had asked the question to which she, with no thought, not even a glimpse of a, of a pause, she turned, she looked at me, and she said, nope, I don't quite think I'm ready for that. And uh, to which I instantly shut down. Come on, come on, men. How many of you have ever been shut down by a woman? Raise your hands if you've ever been shut down. But please raise your hands. I feel lonely, right? My word. I I was feeling like I'm the only one. And uh, and so we got in the car. That was the end of the date, obviously, you know. And and so we we got in the car. I didn't say a word all the way back on the drive from the restaurant. I was going to drop her off. And she turned and she looked at me right as she was about to get out of the car. And she said, wait a second. I know what you're about to do. She said, you're about to drop me off at my apartment and never speak to me again, aren't you? And I said, yep, you better believe it. And she turned and she looked at me and she said, that would be the greatest mistake of your life. (laughs) That lady is now my wife, Christy Shields Northup. Come on, somebody. And just a side note to the story, uh, we went on a date the next week, and she actually reached over and grabbed my hand on the date, and I knew two things. Number one, I want to marry this girl. Number two, I know who's in charge for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Have you ever had a moment in your life where, in a relationship, you wanted to take the relationship to the next level? You wanted to, the relationship to go deeper. You wanted to have the relationship to have more value. It doesn't even have to just be a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse. It could be a, even a, a relationship with a coworker, or a boss, or a friend. And, and, but they, they didn't really want it to go to the next level. And, and you know, they kind of you know, presented themselves as something is better than nothing, but I don't really want to go quite as far as you want to go with this. I don't really want to go quite as deep as you uh, want to go with this. There's an old song that not everybody in the room would know, but an old song that went, and you say, you're ju- we're just a friend. You know, it's not like that. How many of you remember that song? You know, and you say, oh, baby, you know, that one. You got what I need. I mean, I'll stop. There's a reason why I'm not on the worship team. But, uh, you know, it's that I want to go to the next level. I want to take this relationship to a different space and a different place, but there's resistance on the other end. And here's what I want you to understand about your relationship with God. And this goes for whether you've attended church your whole life or whether you're here for the very first time today. God doesn't want to be someone in your life. He wants to be the one in your life. God doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants all of your life. God doesn't want a piece of you. He wants all of you. But as we find throughout humanity, God is reaching out to us and he continues to reach towards us and he always wants to take us deeper. He always wants us to go further and and farther and higher And, and he always wants to take us to new places but many times humanity, me included, will push God away and say, God, I'm really okay with the way things are right now. I, I, I love you, I, I know you're real, and I want you in my life, but I'm not really ready to go where you want to go. I'm not really ready to go to the next level in our, our relationship. And in our text today, here's what we discover. We discover 
that God wants to be the primary relationship, in fact, the only relationship of value to his people. And so what happens is, there's a patriarch of the faith, his name is Moses, and, and, and God takes Moses up to this part of Israel that still exists today, it's called Mount Sinai. And they're on top of this mountain, and God has this discussion with Moses where he, he sits him down and he says, I'm going to give you the, the terms of agreement, the covenant terms of agreement about my relationship with my people. Here's the way that I want us to operate, the way that I want you and the rest of my people to operate, and we know this as the Ten Commandments. And he starts out, the very first one, with talking about idolatry. And some of you go, idolatry. You know, you think of idolatry solely as, you know, these wooden images that people bow down to or something like that. But I want to define idolatry for us before we move any further today. And I want to let you know that idolatry is anything that our heart desires more than we desire God. Think about that. Anything our heart desires more than we desire God. And you read about the nation of Israel, God's people, and you see that God's people continued to always try to want to worship and, and, and have value in other things. In fact, if you want to read a wild story in the Bible, by the way, if you're not a Bible reader, first of all, you should be. And secondly, if you want to, anybody that says the Bible is boring hasn't really read the Bible. Hello? There's a wild story in the Bible about God's people building an actual golden calf. This is not like pretend, this actually happened. They built a golden calf and they bowed down to it and they worshiped this golden calf and then not only did God take care of that, they continued to continually be pulled towards these idols, these things that they would worship other than God. Now some of you go, well good pastor, I'm in really good shape. I haven't built any golden calves in my house. I haven't bowed down in worship to any idols. Idolatry is much more subtle in North America, in the modern world. It's not that we worship and we bow down to golden calves. It's that idolatry in our context is more about what's happening in our heart. Huh. It's more about having things that we desire more than we desire God. It's about having things that we value more than we value our relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying that any of you, because all of you in this room have a perfect relationship with God and you have no room to work on it at all, but I'm talking about the people that are probably outside of this room, uh, you know, that, that have things in their life that are idols and maybe they call themselves Christians and, and it could be things like, I don't know, a political party. Mm. I just want to step back here in case something gets thrown my way. Or it could be a, a, a value, a, an idol of, a, a, of, of even, listen, watch this, and this is tricky here, you gotta watch this, even an idol that we make out of our families. Hmm. Wayne, don't we wanna like really love our families well? Yeah, but you can make an idol out of your family. You can make an idol out of 
your ministry. I can make an idol out of what I'm doing right now. I can make an idol to that where I value that and I desire that and I find delight in that more than I value my relationship with the Lord, more than I delight in my relationship with the Lord. And Paul actually has a word for this. The, uh, the apostle Paul has a word for this. He uses the word covetousness. He says you covet, you long for, you desire, you yearn for something different, one that, that many struggle with and, uh, and, and, and that I'll just talk about is uh, the idol of, of money. So the Bible actually says this. People say, money's evil according to the Bible. No, money is not evil. Look this way, everybody. Money is not evil. The Bible actually says the love. Oh, y'all read it. I like this. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, the desire for I got to get more, I got to get mine, I got to build my 401k, I, gotta, I, got, I need more, I need bigger, I need better, I need bigger house, I need better house, I need better car, I need, I need and there's something in our heart that's, that's, that, that's got a hustle to it. You know, that's like, man, I got to get mine. And, and, and you, you understand that when people really, uh, and I, I please don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here because you're here, so I'm obviously not talking about you, but you understand this when people say, I, I need to work on Sunday mornings instead of go to church. Hmm. Let me move on. See, some of you say, what does this have to do with relationships? Glad you asked. And Schaefer and his team, if you could get the the things that I asked for on stage before service, that'd be awesome. I love you guys. The jugs. Um, so relationships for many of us, there are some of you in the room that you don't fall into this because your, your whole thing is what we talked about last week. I don't need a lot of people. I don't need a lot of relationships. I, I don't need any of that. And, and then there are others of you here in this room that watch this now you actually make an idol out of your relationships. The reason I know this is because I've married people. And here's what many couples don't understand when they get married. Many people, when a, a lady walks down the aisle and she's ready to get married, here's what she's walking down the aisle and she's thinking. She's thinking, I'm not a whole person. I'm pretty insecure. I, I, I'm, you know, I don't really know who I am. And I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for more out of my life and, and all of that. And look, look this way. And here's what they think. Here's what many brides think. I'm going to marry you and you're going to complete me. You're gonna make me a whole person. How many of you are married in the room? Raise your hands. How many of you would testify that that doesn't work? Yeah. Or the guy thinking the same thing. Well, you're going to complete me. You're gonna make me more secure, more whole. And here's the problem. The problem is a marriage can't handle that kind of pressure. A marriage can't handle, it was never built to say, you're going to be my everything. You're going to fulfill all of my relational, emotional, spiritual, every, you're going to fulfill all of that for me, and I hope you don't ever have a bad day. I need you to only have perfect days, and I need you to love me perfectly, because that's the reason I'm marrying you, because we're going to be, you know, you're going to complete me and make me a whole person. And you get about two weeks into marriage, and you figure out, oh, that wasn't the greatest plan. 
Why? Because our human relationships are human. And as humans, all of us are fallen. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So just to give you kind of the Greek word for all, when the Bible says that, I, I, I studied, you know, four years in, in seminary and Bible college, and now I'm getting my master's degree, and so I, I studied a little bit of Greek. I want to give you the, the word for all, okay, the Greek word for all, and the Greek word for all is, watch this, all. It's Everybody. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all fallen. We're all, we're all humans. And so it's not just your marriage relationships. It, it could be your friendships where you're expecting a perfect person, a perfect friendship. And the first thing that doesn't go exactly you know, the way you wanted, the first time they walked by you and didn't see you and forgot to say hi or, or whatever, then, then you know, there's a wound there because you're going, I expected this to be better. I, I expected this to fulfill me, to complete me. I thought our friendship would be you know incredible and it would never have bad days or or you went to a small group you know and you're like man I thought my you know they're always talking about small groups I tried it and it wasn't perfect you know pastor like I just want to if you'd stop shut up about small groups because I tried it and and they're really not that great you know that you know those guys or those gals or those couples or whatever they're not that great they actually have flaws and and man this one guy said something in our small group that really really ticked me off and really made me mad it made me not even want to come back to to small group and or watch this I just got to cover my own bases here I thought you were going to be the perfect pastor I thought that you didn't have any flaws and I came to this church I always get scared when people that have been coming here under a month look at me and I have it happen all the time look at me and say this is the perfect church and I always go oh boy I know where this is headed. Because watch this. We're not the perfect church. I will fail you often. Why? I have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a, I'm a human. I, and so here's the issue. The issue is, watch this now. The issue is anytime you give something or someone the position of God in your life, it will lead to a moment of crisis. Because you know what? What you idolize, you will eventually demonize. What you idolize, you will eventually demonize. And so if you're lifting up a, a, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a spouse, if you're idolizing a friendship, if you're idolizing a church or a small group, a pastor, a, a coworker, a boss, any relationship in your life, if you idolize that relationship and you lift it up and it becomes more important to you than God and you're looking for fulfillment in that relationship, what you idolize, what you will eventually demonize. The root of our relationship issues for many of us is that we idolize them. We make our love interest into idols. We idolize marriage. We idolize spouses, boyfriends, friends, churches. And the Bible says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Watch this. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Hmm. And here's what happens when things don't go perfect, when the marriage isn't working out, when the friendship doesn't look good, when the small group didn't feel that great last week. 
Here's what happens. When your relationships let you, let you down, you'll be ready to let them go. When your relationships let you down, you'll be ready to let them go. That is so good, Pastor. Thank you so much. When your relationships let you down, you'll be ready to let them go. Because there is only one who can handle being your satisfaction. There is only one who can handle becoming the all in all in your life. There is only one that will bring you fulfillment in every area. There is only one that will literally make you complete, secure, whole, incredible. There's only one. Now, I kind of compare it to this. These are our human relationships, okay? And so these relationships are, this would be, I would say, an, an average human, okay? This is an average human. And you go to them and you say, I I want you to refresh me. I want you to, to give me satisfaction. I want you to fill me up. And, and the, the problem is that they also need the same thing. And if they're not getting it, what happens is their tank begins to run dry. Their, their love tank, their, their fulfillment tank, and eventually they run out of, of refreshment water to give you. They don't have anything left, but you keep coming back to them and you keep going, but I need more from you. I, I need you to satisfy me. I need you to fill me. I need you to make me me whole. I, I, need, I need more from you, but they're going, I don't really have much left. But every once in a while, you, want, you run into a really great person. You run into somebody that, man, they're just better than the average human being. They are amazing. They're, they're great Christ followers, and, and they, they love well, and, and man, every time you talk to them, you feel encouraged, and, and they're better than kind of a, the average human being that you, you've ever known, and so you go to them, and you go, oh, oh, at least there's one great guy. At least there's one great gal. At least there's one person in my life that can, you know, satisfy me and fill me up and, and bring me delight and, and all of that, you know, but eventually, I promise you, at the end of the day, if they're, if they're doing their job, watch this, if they're doing their job, at the end of the day, every day, guess what? They're empty. Hello? In fact, according to this, by 7 p.m., they're empty. There's nothing left. So, what am I telling you this morning? I'm telling you that there is a source that you gotta start going to. There is a source of relationship that will not run dry, that will not ever lose the the pleasure and the delight and the love and the security and the wholeness that he wants to give you. Now this is the biggest jug we could find today. But I'm here today to tell you that God's jug, this is very limited when, when you start talking about God because guess what? God never runs out of love. He never runs dry. He's got more and more and more and more and more for you. I'm telling you this, stop expecting all of your human relationships that are not, that they're trying to get their own satisfaction and they're, stop expecting these to bring you complete satisfaction. Start going to the source. The only one that can really fill you up. Because guess what, God doesn't have love, God is love. He wakes up in the morning and it's all he knows how to do is love and bring satisfaction and bring life. Listen to this, Psalm 37, verses four and five says, take delight, everybody say delight. 
Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. The, the original language of this verse is actually Hebrew, and the Hebrew word tra- that, that is translated into our English word delight is rooted in this idea of delicacy or tenderness. And so what it's trying to portray to us is this is a life of ease. This is a life of, of, of delight. It's a life that is filled with satisfaction. It's an easy life when we delight in the Lord. Now, this is a verse that many Christ followers quote, but they only focus on the second half. They only focus on, he's going to give me the desires of my heart. But it, it's, that's, that's the only then principle. If this is an if then verse. There are many verses in the Bible that are if, then. Everybody say if, then. And the if part is take your delight in who? The Lord. If you'll take your delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So sometimes we want the desires of our heart before our delight is in the Lord. I'm asking you this morning to take your delight in the Lord. And I want to focus on a, a word as we kind of bring this to a close here soon. And the word is contentment. Contentment. There is something powerful about people that are content. There are very few people that I've ever met in my life that are content. In fact, sometimes it feels almost like a bad word in America. Because we're people that pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we get things done and we're never satisfied. We always can be going to the next level and we want more, but we're not content. We're not content that we made the playoffs and we won our first game. We wanted more, right? This contentment word is really a powerful word in the imagery that God uses in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, this incredible church planner, leader guy in the New Testament. He was writing to a city in Philippi, and and so in a book called Philippians, here's what he says, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Now before I read this, here's what you gotta understand. This verse, there is not a verse in the entire Bible that is misquoted more than this. And, And if you're not careful, you miss out on what this is really saying in the real context of it. He says this, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be what? Content, content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And when he's saying I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that wasn't meant for the football player on the field to go, We're going to win this game because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That's the American version of this. What Paul is saying here is, it doesn't matter what my situation is. I can be poor, I can be rich. I can be lonely, I can have a whole lot of relationships. It doesn't matter what my situation is. I can do anything that I'm called and asked to do. I can live my life and I can be content because Christ gives me strength. He's the one that satisfies. He's the one that makes me content. Some of you maybe are are not yet believers in Jesus and you find yourselves in the room today. Here's what I want you to understand. This is a different kind of relationship that Jesus wants from you than maybe you've ever heard about before. 
This is, a, this is not a religious thing. This is not a do the right thing. This is not a legalism thing. This is a, a thing of, you know what? He wants you to delight in him. He doesn't want a casual relationship. He doesn't want a respectful relationship. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He, he wants to know you. He craves for intimacy with you. He craves to know you deep in the bottom of your heart. And if you're a Christ follower in the room, you consider yourself a Christian. I'm here today to remind you that your heavenly father desires a relationship with you that is not just respectful and it's not just polite and it doesn't just come and sit in a church environment or even attend a small group and go through all that. God desires an intimate, delightful, fulfilling, satisfaction relationship with you and I wanna tell you as a Christ follower, because I'm a Christ follower, before I'm a pastor and leader, as a Christ follower, I've gone through seasons of my life where I've been walking closely with the Lord and intimately, and he's speaking to me, and it's like we're walking in the cool of the day together, and his presence is tangible, and it's real, and I'm praying, and I'm listening to him, and I'm bringing, and he's filling me up, and, and I'm not expecting other relationships to do that. I'm not expecting other idols in my life to do that. I I'm doing that with him, but I've also had times where I was, I was still a Christian. I was okay. I would have gone to heaven if I would have passed, but I've had many seasons of my life where I walk away from the intimacy, where it's not as close, where I, I still want a relationship with God, but I'd like it to be polite, respectful, casual. And thank you, Jesus, that he always pulls me back in and says, son, that's not the kind of relationship I want with you. I want an intimate, delightful relationship. I want you to know me, and I want to fill you up, and, and I want you to be satisfied completely in me and only me. We see Jesus modeling this for us so incredibly well. Jesus had a small group. Y'all didn't know that, did you? He had a small group. It was 12 people kind of a medium-sized group, okay? And he was a small group leader, but guess what? He didn't look to his guys for satisfaction. He didn't look to those relationships to fill him up. And if you've read any about any of those disciples and the dumb things that they did, you'd understand he wasn't gonna get much out of a lot of those relationships. But he understood where his fulfillment had to come from. Watch this, Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there, what, how, what, what was he, he was there what? He was alone, but he wasn't alone. He was with the Father. Mark six forty six. after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to what? Yeah, yeah he, he understands where his satisfaction comes from. He, he understands where, where it needs to derive from. Luke 6, 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to, to what? Pray. And he spent the whole night, the whole night in prayer to God. Must have been going through a little bit more that night. and Must have needed more satisfaction, more delight in the Father that night. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went away to a secluded place and he was praying there, Luke 5, 16, last one. Uh, there's many more I could give you, but I'll just give you one more. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Why? 
because he understood where his satisfaction came from. And so should we.